0: I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. I am so excited to have George Robinson here on the Conscious Anti-Racism uh, podcast. Um, George is the Director of Supplier Diversity and Inclusion at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, and um, we, have, we have connected through um, some stuff that we'll get into later, uh, an organization that he has created with some of his colleagues. It's really incredible. And uh, George, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, Doctor.
0: Um, Oh, gosh, that's so formal. Please call me Jill. Um, Thanks, Jill. So so I want to start by asking you, what does anti-racism mean to you?
1: So anti-racism means to me a higher level of appreciation of all races, not necessarily uh, just a primary focus on one race or another race, but an elevated understanding of, of all races and a better appreciation of the value that uh, each community can bring across uh, the, the various uh, races that we have. You know, Far uh, too often when we think about anti-racism, it's, it's a primary focus on uh, say the African-American community or Hispanic community. And I think from the onset, the, the primary focus was to Uh, enhance an individual's appreciation for all races and and enhance the value of what each individual can bring uh, to a conversation or or to an issue and not just allow one race to per se dominate uh, a a particular uh, uh, operation or conversation, but to be able to bring value and inclusion of uh, different opinions and, and different perspectives uh, based upon an individual's race.
0: Okay. I like that. I like that. Now, I'm wondering, that, and this is, um, I don't want people to misunderstand that as you saying all lives matter versus Black Lives Matter. So that, can you that, talk that's a little bit about
1: that? Correct. And, and the the issue uh, that I would say or, or the comment that I would make is especially surrounding the uh centuries of treatment of African Americans, not only within this country, but individuals of darker skin tone globally Mm -hmm. uh, with respect to uh, education, housing, access to finance, access to just uh, communal advancement. Uh, Right now, the primary focus and discussion within this country surrounds African Americans and their existence uh, within uh, our country, within our communities, within our schools, and within our corporations. And so uh, right now, I would definitely say, so no, considering the the focus on, on the conversation around Black Lives Matter right now, what what that is a culmination of, at least from my uh, interpretation and digestion, is just the simple fact that uh, for the centuries that African Africans have been on this soil, uh, disconnected from their, their country, their culture, their religion, their language, and now having adopted the American on the tail end of African, the community of conversation is focusing on the disparate treatment uh, uh, and environment that Uh, African Americans have been placed on. And that community's response to, uh, you know, several uh, incidences that, if not for technology, and if not for communal uh, uh, conversations, this country wouldn't even be discussing right now. You know, thank God individuals had cell phones at the ready to record, you know, these horrific events. And that's not to say that, you know, events in the past have not you know, made the news, but because of technology, that that conversation uh, is expanding at such a hyper rate that now we are able to focus on uh, black lives within this country uh, and, you know, having a better national conversation around what should be and where should be uh, the focus on African-American life improvement and existence in this country.
0: Um, that's, so, that's so well said, and I, I like your, how your anti-racism is about like the, focusing on what the, the positive value and contribution that everyone can bring in without being dominated by anyone else, but then there's also very much related the Black Lives Matter movement, which does insist upon or, or strive towards black lives counting as much as everyone else, not to the detriment of other people's lives, but-
1: Correct, and, and I think for so, so many people, there, there is a misunderstanding around uh, you know, the value system of one versus another. You know, when you look across you know, the, the country's history with respect to uh, laws, regulations, practices, policies, there has been an overwhelming slant in those developments in those institutions where African-Americans have been on the short end of the stick of these policies that have been developed, the practices that have been accepted uh, and things of that nature. And so now this conversation, even though there's other communities that have, have come into this country uh, and have navigated those, those policies to their advantage and to some their disadvantage, we still remain under that level of focus uh, and commitment uh, based upon those policies uh, development. And for the most part, those policies have been negatively slanted against us. And so with the focus around Black Lives Matter, not only in the in the social justice framework but now of course the conversations expanding into uh you know corporate involvement and engagement c-suite uh, uh attainment uh and, and things of that nature the conversation started to expand
0: so we i just realized we haven't told anyone listening or watching uh other than your current job title like your story so can you can you talk a little bit about i know there's a lot of ohio in your background um <laughs> yeah, there's a
1: lot there's a lot of ohio in my background but i, I go blue i support blue so uh yes that originally from toledo, is, that a, ohio.
0: is that a sport thing
1: oh most definitely it's, it's the university of michigan thing
0: okay. uh, and
1: so uh for your listeners that uh understand the, the border battle between uh the university of michigan and that school down south uh they'll know what i'm talking about but uh yes originally from toledo ohio uh, did undergrad in chemical engineering, uh, did a little bit of law school, decided that it wasn't for me, ended up uh, completing a, an MBA in operations management, Six Sigma, uh, elected to go down a path in uh, higher education, doctoral studies, uh, primarily focused on uh, engineering within my career, government management. Uh, as well as diverse business uh, engagement and development. And so that's the space that I'm in right now as the Director of Supplier Diversity and Inclusion for UPMC. Uh, My primary objectives are to enhance the opportunity uh, and conversation around diverse business utilization with one of the the country's largest integrated delivery and finance systems, uh, UPMC and UPMC Health Plan. Uh, Our organization has over 40 hospitals, uh, 700 uh, senior living centers, as well as specified healthcare uh, delivery uh, uh, operations. Uh, We have facilities in three states and in four countries uh, globally. So uh, my primary focus is to help provide the best opportunity of connection between UPMC's uh, sourcing needs, as well as our diverse business community's ability to uh, service those needs.
0: And because my brain understands medicine and my brain understands meditation type stuff, but my brain didn't understand all of what you're saying. So like suppliers, is that going to be like oxygen tanks or is that also going to be like like silverware for the cafeteria and- um, Correct. So-
1: Right, so suppliers in that space include anything that we buy. Okay. Uh, you know, everything from marketing materials to mm. construction goods and services to therapeutics to, you know, everything that, that our institution purchases. Okay. Uh, UPMC uh, currently exceeds the $3 billion mark in, in procurements. Uh, And our diverse business community helps support that uh, almost near the 10% mark. And so, you know, it's my objective to increase uh, the volume of diverse businesses that we're buying goods and services from, uh, both from a hospital system, as well as an insurance company. Uh, Our uh, health plan organization is uh, strategically engaged in billions of dollars of government contracts where uh, there is a diverse business requirement to help uh, support us in delivering uh, those particular contracts. And so I work alongside teams to partner our diverse business community with those uh, procurement opportunities that we have at the, the government level. And so, yes, we, we buy some of everything. Okay. Uh, you know, across again, construction, IT, uh, counseling, uh, you name it, we're, we're buying uh, some of everything to help support our mission of life-changing medicine.
0: Okay. So you've had some experience, lots of experience in academia that you've had experience on the corporate level. I also know that you've had, it looks like you've had some experience on the like city municipal government level. Correct. Well, what do you say to people who, white people who push back and say like, you're discriminating against me. How, what's your answer there? Because I, I, I mean, and you can, you know, pretend as if I am that person if you'd like to, but.
1: So, I mean, the, the, the answer always revolves around statistics and data and numbers, mm. uh, you know, when you look across, even just at the, the academic level, uh, the the statistics, you know, reflecting uh, positive outcomes out of urban communities or communities that have uh, high populations of disparate uh, uh, members, so minorities, things, uh, uh, you know, categories along that, that space. The statistics are always showing that uh, based upon financial focus uh, in, say, suburban communities, their schools are typically better. They're education providers, meaning their teachers and their administrators uh, are often better. And so when I look at you know, education attainment and things of that nature, yes, our urban school systems have issues that they are attempting to provide solutions to, but the fact of the matter remains, you know, a lot of our communities across our country are struggling to better educate African-American, Latino, Asian students uh, just because of the finance uh, game. Uh, and so, when I look at a student's ability to achieve their dream in terms of employment, uh, you know, they're somewhat at a deficit in the sense that they may have gone to a school that didn't have up to date technology, up to date uh, instruction, mm-hmm. uh, meaning their teachers uh, may have been dealing with other issues outside of being able to communicate. Uh, information to that student to improve their lives and enhance the chances of them being able to attain uh, gainful employment and being positive contributors to society. That's not saying that everyone has that issue, but when we look across the stats, uh, m- the majority of those individuals are at a disadvantage just from an education standpoint. So education then being able to translate to their ability to attain, uh, you know, say their life dream. You know, I have a son who wants to be a professional football player, but his backup uh, career choice is to be an orthodontist. Mm. And so, you know, my ability to help him attain that dream, you know, I've had to make specific decisions in order for him to uh, accomplish that. That is not typically the experience of our white counterparts because of the communities that they live in the institutions that they typically have available to them uh, for their children, the relationships that they have developed across their communities, and just simply the ability to assimilate with the majority population within this country. So it's almost like saying, you know, because I'm white, I I already have some uh, uh, advantage afforded me just because the majority of people around here in those spaces of improved attainment look like me.
0: So, and then, okay, so then people push back and say, but my life hasn't been easy, I'm not privileged. What do you say to that?
1: So, so what I say to that is, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to label everyone, and, and I can't necessarily say that one person's life is, is more privileged than another, but what I can say is across the examples where that person uh, whom I know whose life wasn't privileged the likelihood and probability of their success is greatly enhanced than it is for someone that does look like me. And I would say that the decisions that certain individuals have made, the choices that they've made, uh, tend to weigh less on their, their ability to attain some level of accomplishment than say for me. So I have to make certain decisions I have to develop certain relationships either early on uh, within that relationship, there's typically a give and take where I have to uh, you know, give that individual uh, more often than not some uh, uh, level of accomplishment that they can then say, all right, so that then earns you, you know, this level of access wherein you know, typically for, for white individuals that I'm aware of, they didn't even have to do that. It was just, oh, okay, I know him. They know me. We're good to go. There wasn't this sort of barter that had to take place or qualification that had to you know, be accomplished in order for that individual to you know, attain the rights and privileges that that other individual could afford them. Yeah. And so across that communal conversation, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, you know, uh, why isn't your community more solid where you could you know, afford that to yourselves? Well, when you have systems that have been in place, uh, i.e. slavery that were specifically designed to uh, reduce communication, reduce you know, and eliminate literacy, uh, the ability to speak and communicate well, uh, the ability to plan, the ability to forecast things, of that nature, and when you've just been relegated to be uh, a tool uh, for an individual, you know, how do you think that uh, community even uh you know upon emancipation upon uh integration within schools upon voting rights and other civil rights being afforded to them we're only talking about 120 years ago 130 years ago how do you expect that community to make those levels of advancement when for you know, centuries here in this country, you've always been in that dominating role. So we're still in that evolutionary space right now, where we're catching up. And, you know, it's almost like the the, the drawing that's, you know, shown on Facebook and other social media. You know, there's this race between, you know, an African American and, and a Caucasian American. And the Caucasian American doesn't have those hurdles, doesn't have the snares, the trips, the, the, you know, all of the things that would impede you from being able to run a race fairly. And so, you know, we're still trying to run that race. And I think that, uh, you know, could lead us into the conversation around EARN and the, the development of that uh, particular uh, organization of which I'm a co-founder. Uh, my other two co-founders include Martin Shepard and uh, Jessica uh, Woods Brooks uh, in looking at the community here in pittsburgh and recognizing that pittsburgh has recently made national news and attention surrounding our gender equity study that was released uh, almost two years ago where that study uh, basically inferred and provided statistics to support uh, the fact that african americans and their livability and their existence here in pittsburgh is actually retarded and that uh, you know, African-Americans, specifically African-American women, uh, improve their their livability, their existence, their their health outcomes, if they just move somewhere outside of Pittsburgh. You know, when we looked at COVID-19 and its, you know, just deep impacts across the African-American community in terms of health access, uh, in terms of information exchange versus other communities. And then when we also looked at uh, you know The unfortunate uh, demise of George Floyd and countless other individuals, the three of us elected to get together and raise the alarm uh, across our corporate community here in southwestern Pennsylvania, because we just really did not see any sort of affirmative response across those three areas, uh, COVID-19, George Floyd death, and uh, our uh, Pittsburgh gender equity study and we said, look, you know, if anyone should say something, it should be us. You know, The three of us are uh, mid-level and senior level executives uh, within our own right, but we just were not seeing this communal conversation at our corporate level to say, this is what we can do to help your community. The least of these, the, the community that's being impacted the most, the community that has been you know, crying out for access Uh, and has for years demonstrated its ability to be just as good, if not better, than so many other people that have been able to take uh, advantage and and enjoy the fruits of of, of corporate uh, uh, employment. And so those three things uh, culminated together with our spirit uh, uh, developed EARN. And from EARN, uh, we have come out with a three-pronged approach uh, to addressing uh, issues uh, within our community, uh, both here in Pittsburgh as well as nationally. Unfortunately, uh, that's where our relationship came in uh, with you, Jill, uh, in terms of you know anti-racism and anti-bias training. You know we have just seen a horde of statistics over the you know past several years, and now more so than ever, surrounding corporations and their understanding of anti-racism and anti-bias and how it is beginning to sink into their leadership the fact that least diverse, least uh, uh, communicative organizations actually produce lower levels of revenue. Uh, When you have an an increased level of diversity, uh, not only within your leadership, but your workforce, you typically have better revenue uh, development. And also recognizing that Uh, you know, white communities across corporations, and and we're seeing, you know, varying levels uh, geographically. Some people just aren't ready to have this conversation because they're comfortable with what the status quo is, what the existing uh, uh, environment entails. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, looking at our ability to positively impact those corporations that realize there's a problem in having that attitude of that, you know, everything's okay. We'll just keep our head down. This stuff is gonna blow over. We're not gonna to listen to our employees that may be raising uh, concerns about their uh, uh, current employment with us, uh, which to, you know, degree our gender equity study outlined that it's having health implications. And so, you know, with our relationship with you uh, and your partners, you know, surrounding the anti-bias anti-racism training, We're trying to expand that conversation and help provide uh, better corporate spaces and environments for not only African-Americans, but for all employees to enjoy. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one of our arms. Uh, The second arm includes uh, recognition of executive staffing and just the huge separation between the uh, superfluous information that's provided to a candidate on an opportunity at the executive level and within the C-suite of corporations. And really the the ground level conversation that's being had behind the scenes on how do we select uh, individuals for uh, C-suite participation. And so we have a connection with an executive staffing firm that uh, we're in the process of developing trainings for African-American and other minorities uh, to better understand the level of conversation that's being had when a staffing opportunity comes up, and then also enabling our membership to uh, become participants within that staffing opportunity. And as alignments come across uh, our staffing agency, where we see African-Americans uh, providing connection across that, that uh, hiring alignment, we can then push them into the conversation. So that's our second arm. Uh, And then our third arm, uh, we are uh, pleased to announce uh, the development of a health awareness app, Our Balance, wherein uh, the app provides real-time data collection on the app user's experience across work, across their social aspects, across sleep, and across their uh, physical activity. The main reason behind the development of the app was to be able to adequately evaluate uh, an African-American's experience within a corporation, Uh, looking at how corporations have recently responded, whether it was to change their logo one day to to a black and white logo, uh, mirroring uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, color scheme or. Uh, across uh, various statements that have been made with corporations saying, you know, that they are attentive to uh, black lives as well as some of them have mentioned all lives within their organizations. And so, you know, what we wanted to be able to do was to provide some uh, uh, level set uh, where we could validate what a corporation is saying against what their Uh, African-Americans and other app users' true experiences. And so that app uh, provides uh, aggregated scoring, again, across those four areas, uh, social activity, work, sleep, and physical activity. And then based upon that scoring, uh, there's a score range between zero and 10. Uh, 10 to seven, meaning that your life is in balance, meaning that you know, work isn't impeding on your social life, isn't impeding upon your sleep, isn't impeding upon your physical activity. But then scores below seven begin to uh, highlight issues and concerns that the user can see themselves. And then based upon a corporation's adoption of that app, the corporation then can see, okay, based upon the environment that we're presenting to our employees, the app is now showing us that we may need to make certain modifications or that we need to continue on this specific path of change that we've made to help that employee's life. And so that's, uh, you know it in a nutshell, with respect to Earn uh, and some of the tools that we are deploying across uh, uh, our user space to help improve the lives of African-Americans, uh, not only in southwestern Pennsylvania, but nationally
0: that's it's so amazing and i'm so grateful that uh that i've been able to be involved with you all can you say what earn stands for for people listening who may not sure
1: sure so earn is the uh executive action and response network i, and love I it. apologize for not bringing that up first you know sort of like the whole acronym suit you know it's always oh, yeah. the, the, we, the we start with it. the explanation yeah
0: um i love it because i think so many so many businesses that, I, that specifically I know of that have been committing aggressions or microaggressions. Now poof, all of a sudden they're anti-racist and they're putting out these statements on their websites and, and these statements that they are concerned about black lives. And, and now you are saying with your incredible colleagues, show us, you know, step up, do, do the work and not, not just the easy thing of saying we care and we're, we want to be better, but actually, be better and actually take these validated steps to do that, and and see how your employees feel about it. It's it's so incredible, and I think um, so needed. At, at good, time. good.
1: Thank you, and thank yeah. you for being on the the, the journey with us.
0: Um, it's an honor. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's actually. dream to be doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of pushback have you gotten? I I know you've mentioned there's been some pushback in the in the black community. Do you want to talk a little bit about that with with the? the
1: Yeah so you know oddly enough uh, when we developed Earn uh, and we put together a call to action and seven step agenda item to our corporate community here in Pittsburgh uh, which includes several fortune 1000 companies several very large nonprofits, uh, organizations, educational institutions and the like, you know, we, we wanted to communicate to that leadership that there is a group of individuals who were paying attention to things and that you know, we weren't just going to you know, sit by and you know, watch the flowers grow uh, when we're seeing our community, uh, specifically African-American community, just pummeled across, you know, these three foci areas. You know, when, you know, nationally, uh, we hear on syndicated radio, you know, people talking about, you know, what's the worst place for black people to live. And, you know, people guess, you know, these major metros, uh, you know, murder capital of the United States. And they say, no, it's Pittsburgh. You know, we realize that there's a problem because we also recognize that there are, you know, several benefits uh, that, you know, so many of our community members are able to enjoy in Pittsburgh that we just aren't. And so, you know, we put the letter together, we sent it out. Uh, we had several private conversations with corporate leadership. Uh, uh, we vetted it across uh, several individuals that have been uh, in the Pittsburgh community for for years. But another thing that we did is we also uh, distributed across a select a private network of African-American professionals here in Pittsburgh, just to get their initial sense before we sent the letter out to the corporate community. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, some of those responses, you know, we're just really shocked. Here we are trying to argue and position an organization that specifically speaks to uh, the African-American experience uh, with, with a primary focus on the executive experience and some of the comments we got back, we were just, you know, flabbergasted. You know, you know, I can't be affiliated with that. You know, how would my corporation respond to me, or, or, uh, uh, you know, look at me if if I had signed off on that? You know, don't have my name affiliated with that. You know, we we were just really set back by that. Oddly enough, a lot of the positive comments that we received actually came from white executives that said, "Man, you know, thank you for raising this standard." bringing this issue to the forefront you know we don't know what we don't know and to be honest with you so many of our black colleagues that you know we put on our our uh, secret table uh, you know the the black phone where we would call them to ask them you know what's the black agenda or what's the black opinion about this you know have just been pacifying us you know they never really came honestly truthfully uh, with their concerns, with some positive steps, and with the program in place that's going to allow that benefit to trickle down past their, you know, secret roundtable of, of black individuals that they connected with and counseled with. And so it wasn't, um, you know, uh, again, we, we were surprised by, you know, the level of, of positive response that, that we did receive, but we were also surprised by some of the negative feedback even within our own community. Um, you know, sort of like, you know, seeing where, uh, you know, the, the adage comparing the, the house slave versus the field slave and, mm-hmm. you know, hey, don't raise up against, you know, a, a master or that institution because he's been treating us well, you know, they just didn't realize or, or you know, they had this input, opinion or impression that, you know, by being silent, remaining passive. Uh, you know, with the subject matter that they individually will miss the scathing. You know, one of the things that we looked at, the three of us, uh, we we each have families, is, you know, what is the world we intend to leave for our children going to look like? Recognizing You know, uh, we have three and four generations of African-American existence, uh, present existence in in, in this country. Uh, You know, great-grandparents that lived through, uh, you know, Voting Rights Act, World War II. We have parents that have lived through the Civil Rights Act, Affirmative Action. We ourselves are, you know, uh, in a generation of, you know, some level of benefact. Uh, from that, and then our children that are more so in this technology age, where, you know, for the most part, many of their classmates have not lived through the conversations that we have, where race was such a primary focus. Uh, You know, I look at, you know, my son, who has, you know, friends across all shades, and, you know, if I have a conversation with him regarding, you know, race and, and priority, you know, he would tell me, you know, Uh, My white friend treats me equally and, you know, I just think, you know, yeah, right now he may, but, you know, give it 10 years and you get into, uh, you know, the systems that are in place around employment, around finance, around health, around, you know, all of these, you know, uh, legs of existence uh, that we have in this country and the story may change. The story may stay the same. And so, you know, uh, when we look at, you know, why we created EARN, it was primarily to help develop a new community and a new conversation and a new priority around the African-American professional existence within Pittsburgh and wherever EARN was able to stretch nationally, uh, not only for our benefit as individuals, but looking at a communal benefit for what the next generation was going to face.
0: Yeah. It's so so powerful because, I mean, I can understand why some of your Black colleagues might not want to cause a fuss. I mean, you know, and and I I can imagine, like, from my perspective as a white person being like, come on, step up, you know. And so I think it's important to talk about internalized racism and to talk about um, the fact that when you haven't been given all the privileges and you've gotten yourself to a position where you feel relatively safe and you're, you're able to start creating intergenerational wealth and you're able to start doing these things like why rock the boat and we're, you know, finally making some progress and and maybe not being aware that it, it's complicated. Well,
1: Well, you know, the, the whole thing is, is an individual's understanding of what true progress is. Yeah. And I'll give you I'll give you an example. Uh, I listened to a lot of NPR, and there was a quote on NPR that talked about the financial latitude of the world's richest man, Jeff Bezos. And of course, that that individual shifts, you know, depending on the day of uh, the Dow and and how stocks exchange. But they had a they had a quote, and they said, you know, Jeff Bezos is so wealthy that you know, we talk about the impacts of COVID-19 and, you know, the national conversations and things of that nature. So, you know, we realize his business is really information management. It gets translated across the movement of products, goods and services through Amazon. And the quote said, you know, if you looked at your financial standing and how COVID has impacted you, Jeff Bezos is so wealthy that if he gave all 200,000 employees of Amazon, 200,000 plus employees of Amazon, a $80,000 bonus this year, he would have the same amount of money he had on January 1st of this year.
0: Oh, wow.
1: The article ran in late August of this year. So, I mean, you do the math, 80,000 times 200,000, I mean, come on. So what what is real progress, folks? You know, is the progress saying, yes, we have more uh, African-Americans making six figures? Is it, you know, we have more African-Americans graduating from college? Is it, you know, we have more African-Americans not living in communities with environmental pollution and degradation versus when you compare yourself to, the entire scheme of, uh, improvement. No, we, we haven't made improvement. (laughs) We really haven't. Um, and, and that's the whole thing, being able to shine a light on what is the real material change that can be made, uh, across our community. You know, I, I look at uh, all the time. You know, my father has always been a, a very conservative individual, not voting conservative, but an action conservative. And, you know, he didn't find out about Earn until he saw a Facebook post. And I get this phone call from Ohio, you know, what, what is this Earn thing? I said, Dad, you know, you, I, I just came to the realization that uh, I might have 40 more years on this earth. You know, what, what am I really doing to help us, and not just us in this house where I'm living, uh, the, the state, but us as an institution. What am I really doing to help us? Now, I can go into this hole over here and you know reap all these benefits I may have by keeping my head down and you know, not stirring up conversation, or I can go over here and at least take advantage of the time where we can get into some good trouble
0: mm-hmm.
1: not necessarily have you know this this level of scorn or backlash and at least say that I at least said something now yeah now I might not say anything else ever again you know and earn god forbid fizzles out but at least at this time in this intersection of the conversation of race and, and Black existence within this country, I said something. Yes, there's there's a lot of uh, risk involved in that. Uh, there were some things I had to do to insulate myself from that risk. But if not me, who? And I wish there were more who's that were, were coming along board this conversation. Yeah because we see the opportunity for potential shift. If we all could just get on the same sheet music, if we could all create more communal conversation, unified conversation, yeah, maybe we could do something. You know, uh, when we look across uh, the various uh, uh, races and dialects here in the United States, you see a much tighter communal conversation first around what is this community going to do with respect to its existence, whether it's financial, health, uh, spirituality, et cetera, then you do the African-American community. And again, it's by design. You know, when we look at, um, you know, just the challenges of, of post-slavery, yeah, there, there are many different systems that we are still dealing with that impede us from having a unified conversation, even with the advancements of technology uh, and the like. And so, you know, with those varying opinions, it's going to take some time, but at least at this time, the three of us, Jessica, Martin, myself, and the growing numbers of others that that are coming along uh, the ride with EARN and supporting our organization are saying, at least for, for Southwestern Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh specific, Yeah, we want to get behind this because we realize that if we do say something and something positively happens as a result of our voice, maybe we can start to see that communal, economic, social, uh, and health change uh, within our communities.
0: Yeah. It's so inspiring. I'm like just getting a little emotional hearing you talk. It's so great. It's so, it's so, um, and, and it's, it's complicated because I think this right to comfort is one of the symptoms of, of the perv one of the most pervasive symptoms of white supremacy culture, this need that like, as long as it doesn't affect my own personal comfort, it's cool. But once I have to give something up financially, uh, social capital, anything, that's where, that's where the buck stops. And I see that so much with white people. Um, I've seen it in myself, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's, there's no, there's nowhere that white supremacy culture doesn't and hasn't already reached. And it it reaches into black communities. It reaches into all sorts of communities. And so that right to comfort that has been pretty much handed to me. I mean, I've worked hard in my life, but it has all been, the opportunities have all been given to me. Um, And then I can see for other communities, minority communities who have been marginalized, when you finally get to that level of comfort, I can see like that's letting go of that would be quite difficult. And so for you to be stepping out of that and knowing the the risks um, that you might be taking and saying, you know what, in, in a in a calculated way, but I'm gonna, I have to do this. This is what I I need to do for my life. Well, while still having compassion for people who aren't there. Um, Setting that example and being that leader, um, or being those leaders, I suppose, with with the three of you, um, it's incredible. So well, thank you. Um, thank yeah, you. It's, it's really. Um, there's so much more we could have gotten to. We're out of time. I feel like this could have been like a eight part interview, but I won't subject you to that. Don't worry. Um, how can people connect with you? How can people connect with Earn? Um,
1: Certainly. So. Uh, easy way to connect with me uh, is through LinkedIn. Uh, just search George Robinson II. Uh, Pittsburgh, you'll find me. Uh, you can also connect with us at earn at info at earnpittsburgh.com. Info, I-N-F-O, at earnpittsburgh.com. Uh, we also have uh, a website. Uh, we're in our first iteration, so that web address is www dot earn pittsburgh and that's p i t t s b u r g h earn okay. and so you know we definitely would enjoy uh your listenership visiting our website uh, signing up for updates uh, we're looking forward to uh a new launch of our website where we'll be sharing more details with respect to our our balance app which is on the website as well as our executive staffing arm and our anti-bias, anti-racism training arm.
0: That's awesome. When you spell Pittsburgh, it sounds like when I spell my last name, because he's like, like, no, there's no I in it. And you're like, no, 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 there's an H at the end. Right, it's there, right, yeah, I can that, tell exactly. you had to do that your whole life or your Definitely. whole Pennsylvania life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, George, um, for, for talking with me today. And um and, and sharing your experience. And I, I love your, your obviously, your engineer mind, the way it approaches this, the numbers and the statistics and, and how you approach these problems. And this app is absolutely incredible um, as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how all that uh, changes the world.
1: Certainly, certainly. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I look forward to coming back uh, with my colleagues from EARN and taking a deeper dive in the, into that conversation and uh, being able to share our individual as well as collective perspectives on how others can take advantage of EARN, uh, both from the African-American employee space as well as the, the corporate space.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it'll be good to, um, to give that perspective as well. Sure. Thanks so much. Thank you.